0: Thanks for checking out Covenant's podcast. Our prayer is that God uses this message to impact your life. Good morning, good morning. All right, we are awake. I am going to start before I start preaching with a special announcement that um, actually happened first service. But I wanted to share, as you know, our brother and sister in Christ, Rob and Lisa Chivakoya, have been on sabbatical. And they have been needing this time of healing and restoration, and they are still on that journey, but one of the first steps was for them to simply return to worship and be part of the family here at this community, worshiping God and receiving His Word. And so, in caring for them, we do not want them to do ministry before they are simply being here with us, and it gives great joy that at 9 a.m., Rob and Lisa were here today among us to worship, and so we want to welcome them. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and rejoice for who you are. You are the God of hope, and we praise you for that. Lord, we pray that you will continue to grow that hope that we can have in Christ deeper into us. Lord, be that Emmanuel, that name that we love to say, God with us here today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. And so, Christmas. Christmas is coming, and one of the things that just brings me the idea of Christmas, hopefully, is an image. Ah, there it is. (laughs) Very Christmassy, right? Very Christmassy. Can anyone identify where that scene is from? What movie? Thank you very much. Star Wars. Star Wars. Okay, so I am, you know, a confession. I'm not. As huge of a fan, but my children brought me, and I had no choice. So I am now a Star Wars fan, I can tell you more than I want you to know about Star Wars. Does anyone recognize what is the name of this Star Wars movie It has a subtitle? A New Hope. See, that was one thing I never knew as a kid when I was growing up. There was Star Wars, you know, The Return of the Jedi, The Empire Strikes Back. I thought it was just Star Wars, that first one. But it actually has a subtitle, A New Hope. What episode is this? It's number four. I like back there. Very good. Number four. See, that was the funny thing. George Lucas made the series starting right in the middle at number four. Makes no sense, right? That was a very hard thing to explain to my kids when they were growing up. We were watching the first movie, but it's the fourth movie, right? I don't know. So now here's the trick. What is this scene? This scene is where Princess Leia Organa says the famous words, Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope, right? So, much like the Star Wars trilogies, this is the first movie made, but there's already this sense, a new hope, and this word hope brought into the movie right away. Makes us understand that there was a there's something that was going on, and and it took you know 20 years or so for Lucas to create those prequels. But there was something, there was a story that was meant to come into play that was coming up to this point. There was even a period of that darkness and such that they were waiting, and then finally we have this moment where we break into this new hope. And so this was reminding me, we are starting a series, the songs of Christmas. And as part of that, we started last week with Mary and her new song, a new hope that she had, starting kind of in the middle of our story. And so today, I get the joy of going back and kind of doing our prequels to coming to that point of where did Mary get her hope? Where did this come from? It wasn't just out of the blue. She was singing her song of hope based on the hope that she had from the past. It was a hope from the past with a hope in the present and a hope for the future. So we're going to be looking at a couple of prophets and their songs of hope that they sang with the understanding that something was about to come. Prophetic hope. It was real hope. I love uh, this... A series on um, the computer you can get for Bible. It's called Bible Project. It has all these wonderful videos that can go through almost every book of the Bible. It gives you a snapshot of what they mean. But they also have these series that I would encourage you to watch too. Like They go through the Advent. And so one of the things they studied was hope. And what they talked about in there is the definition of the word hope is like cords. It's kava, the word is. It's cords being stretched tight, until that idea of waiting, waiting, anticipation, until they kind of snap, right? The idea of waiting and waiting. But it is not looking ahead and thinking, I have hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's not just this idea that, oh, things will get better. That's more optimism. Hope, real hope, is when things, there is nothing that looks like it could work out, and yet they had hope. In the Lord, hope can only be real hope when everything around seems hopeless. Hope can only be real hope when everything around us seems hopeless. In fact, it almost seems like it's an impossibility when we have this kind of hope. Walter Brueggemann was a man who wrote about the prophets and in prophetic imagination, he said this: Hope on the on the one hand is absurdity is an absurdity too embarrassing to speak about, for it flies in the face of all those claims we have been told are facts, right? Because what seems impossible in the moment brings that sense of hope. Hope is a mixture of remembering, of faith, and of a confident expectation. Remembering, faith, and a confident expectation, So hope, by its word, by its nature, is a past and a present and a future understanding. And so we're going to begin with what Mary was considering when she was thinking about her past and remembering the the hope that the prophets spoke about. And then we're going to bring it into her present and then hopefully to our present today. In Zephaniah chapter three, it says this, "'Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, "'shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult "'with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. "'The Lord has taken the judgments away the judgments against you. "'He has cleared away your enemies. "'The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. "'You shall never fear, again, fear evil. "'On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, "'Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak.'" The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all of your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. So who is this Zephaniah? Zephaniah is a prophet that, honestly, we don't know a whole lot about. He wrote a rather short book. We do know that he was in prophesying during the reign of Josiah, which was a a king who became king at around eight years old. He, like the other minor prophets and other prophets, wrote mostly about the destruction of Israel or Judah or the temple or Jerusalem. They tended to focus most of their... Emphasis of their books and their writings on that destruction that coming destruction with the hope that the people would repent would change and come back to the Lord Zephaniah is also said though to have summarized kind of some of the other prophets because he repeats some of their Words and some of what they said So he is almost looked at as kind of like this last-ditch effort like here's what everybody has said about what's about to happen You know, let's let's shape up Israel or Judah and let's come back to the Lord Zephaniah wrote it around 612 BC, and the destruction of Judah actually came then in 586 BC. And so we know that all of the prophets' writings did not come to that sense of what God really wanted for his people. Yet, even with all this kind of sense of prophecy, it seems it's despairing. It almost seems discouraging. It seems hopeless. Zephaniah, along with some other of the prophets, brought this last bit of hope Instead, they looked, the, the people of God, instead of listening to the words, they looked for hope and for joy in all the wrong places. They didn't listen to Zephaniah. And so we know actions have consequences. And God, even though he wanted his people to come back to him, allowed natural consequences to happen, but also, in a sense, gave them what they desired and allowed them to live life what they wanted to live life as without him. And in a sense, became. Hopeless in exile. But God did not leave them there. God gives hope in the hopeless moments. He provides this glimmer. If you listen again, this is the cadence of what Zephaniah wants to hammer into these people's hearts and minds. I will gather those of you who mourn. I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will change their shame into praise and renown. I will bring you in when I gather you. I will make you renowned and praised. I will, I will, I will. I will. It is that promise of God that is repeated over and over and over again, that his people will return, but not just return back to the land, return with even this sense of glory. Now, I don't know about you, but with me and my children, there are times when, you know, we get to a point of needing to discipline, and we go through the actions, and we ask for, you know, one child needs to say sorry, and we might get some kind of sorry out of that, But there's a point where we almost feel like, even though all has kind of been resolved, that they, oh, did they really learn their lesson though? Did they really understand what they did wrong? Did they really get it? So we almost in some ways sometimes feel like we need to hold it against them a little bit longer or make sure they really understood so they don't do it again. And then it's kind of almost like a probationary period when we do that. But God doesn't do that at all. He is a God of, full of grace, where not only does he say, I'm welcoming you back into your land, I will bring you back, but you are going to be actually exalted and brought with honor. Mary understood this. If we see the idea of her, her song, she says, he has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Mary remembered the past and was able to have hope for her present. The hope of the past comes into the present. But, hopefully there will be a mountain coming up there soon, because what happens when we have a, a sense of prophecy, particularly like Zephaniah, is that we, they look up ahead. They're looking at this mountain, but it's more like seeing the clouds. They're not sure, but they're thinking... The ultimate goal here is that midway peak. They think that here we have the hope of a mighty Messiah coming. Here we have a hope that Israel will be brought back to the land and we will be glorious. Here's that hope. But they don't see the ultimate plan of God. They could only see so far thinking this lower peak was kind of the top of the mountain and what God's plan was always about. So this song... Kind of illustrates that. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel who mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That, that was the hope they had. That was the hope of ransoming Israel as a nation. They thought that Emmanuel was to come. They understood God among us, God in our midst, but they only understood it so far up that mountain. They only understood it as this idea of being rescued from their captives. And so even Mary, as she started with her hope in the present, feeding from the past, was still thinking that God was there to rescue Israel. If you are here today discouraged, disillusioned, and disheartened by what you're seeing around you, whether that is the state of our world, or your family, or the church, does it seem unrepairable to you? Does it seem hopeless? Again, hope is not just looking ahead and seeing the broken pieces and seeing how they all could fit together. Rather, it is seeing no pieces at all and recognizing that the God who created out of nothing can bring about hope, and can bring about what is impossible. And that, from the idea of what Mary was experiencing, bringing us into the present day for her, that hope, was another prophet. The prophet Isaiah, who literally had that same disillusioned, felt unrepairable in his time of what God could do, still had hope. And so this brings us to where Mary's heart was truly understanding something deeper. Isaiah chapter 12 says, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. That is a picture of praise that Isaiah, even in the hopelessness, had a hope and a proclamation that salvation is coming. Salvation, but salvation from what? To Zephaniah and to Isaiah, they were captives, they were Babylonians, they were in exile, and they were seeking that day of being free and saved and rescued. Even to Mary, there was a sense that her people for 400 years have been ruled by other nations. That there was a sense now, even with Rome, that there was a sense of, ah, we need to be saved from these people, from the oppression. But how was it going to be done? How was it going to be fulfilled? If we read this passage, even just a little differently, from a more Jewish Hebrew perspective, this is one section. This is how it sounds. Surely El is my Yeshua. I will trust and not be afraid. For Hashem Yahweh is my strength and my song of joy. He also has become my Yeshua. Therefore, with joy shall we draw water out of the wells of Yeshua. Yeshua is the word for salvation. Salvation. God is my Yeshua. And later we hear an angel saying to Mary, you shall call him Yeshua. His name is Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is that hope that we've had. The beauty that it is that we see the past hope for salvation coming into its fulfillment fulfillment into the present day with Mary through Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua, God's son, salvation. It was not just oppression. It was not just about this idea of being saved as a nation. It was a present hope and reality that there was more to be saved from. When the Messiah came, when Jesus came, one of the first people after the birth story happened is a man named Simeon. And Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to Simeon at the temple well they took him to the temple to do what they were told to do as the, according to the law and this is what it says in Luke chapter 2 now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel and the holy spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the holy spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, Yeshua, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light and revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother were marveled by what he said. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The prophet or priest, Simeon, spoke of the hope in the present to Mary, revealing to her that that salvation of Isaiah, Zephaniah, and the prophets have come. The hope is here. Salvation. This salvation, which is the glory of Israel, which is the light to the, the, and revelation to the Gentiles, and it is tied to the promise that even Mary herself said in her song about Abraham, that through Abraham everyone would be blessed. Hope Is being revealed in Jesus. Not simple optimism, but real hope, which when we stop to think about the real hope, even when Simeon said to Mary, a sword will pierce your soul, is that sense that hope, the hope of the gospel, is both a mixture of joy and sorrow. The reality of the death of Jesus mixed with the joyful resurrection God's plan for salvation was more and better than anyone had ever conceived. It was God's plan of salvation was not just from an oppressive enemy, but from the evil that lies behind that evil, the very clutches of death itself. Pardon me. (laughs) Wrong number, I believe. God's salvation is not the raising up of one small nation, one group of people, but it was meant to be there for restoration in the entire world, the entire cosmos. It's much like this, kind of going back to the idea that what they had hoped for in all of the history of Israel, pointing ahead to what came, is much like this story that I was told when I was in seminary by a professor kind of goes like this. Imagine you were born in 1890, and on your fifth birthday, your father came to you and said, I promise you that I will save up my money, and I am going to buy for you the best horse and best carriage in town. That you will have something that will go—it will be just amazing. You will enjoy it. I'm going to give it to you when you're 55. It will be perfect. And I'm going to start now so that it's going to be the best possible. Time goes by, and you grow up as a five-year-old. You're always hearing this promise. You know this promise is coming. And then you hit your 55th birthday. Your father is still around. He's 70. You know he will fulfill his promise. But you're driving to his house, and you're kind of thinking, this is probably not what I was hoping for at this point in my life now. And you come to your father, and he reveals to you what he has promised you. And it's an Aston Martin or a Rolls-Royce car, right? The best of what 1945 could buy in a vehicle. Would you then turn to your father and say, Dad, this is not what you promised me. Where's my horse? Where's my carriage, right? No, you would not turn and say that was a ridiculous fulfillment of his promise. That was a better and more amazing fulfillment of what your dad promised. Knowing as time went by, this was what the real thing he was giving you the best of the best, the best transportation that money could buy in that time. It's the same way God's promises for a Jewish man back in in Mary's day would have been. Yes, God's promising Israel will be great, the land that we've always been hoping for, a mighty Messiah to come and bring salvation. But now, completely unexpected, is that the salvation was coming, salvation himself, God, Yeshua, in the flesh in order to rescue and restore everything. He went far beyond any of the promises of a warrior Messiah and came now as a murdered Messiah in order that God's ultimate plan of salvation from exile and oppressive evil would come fully and completely. So hope in the present First, you may be here and you may be just hearing this for the first time as hope. What is this hope in Christ Jesus that we have? What does his death and resurrection mean for us? How does it open up a way for love and grace to come into our hearts and lives? If that is where you are today and you're just hearing hope for the first time, I would encourage you, consider this, wrestle with this, talk to God himself about what that means. But secondly, you might be here as a person who does understand Jesus' grace, have walked with him faithfully. But you might be one who is right now even struggling with hopelessness. There are many reasons for being hopeless, right? From everything from like a loss of a job to feeling like you're stuck in some kind of sin or habit that you can't get rid of. But there's also the deeper and the darker hopelessness that we can experience. And I do just want to pause and think about what it means that God, Emmanuel, is in the midst of life, with us, in our hopelessness. That hopelessness, it could be overwhelmingly dark at times. You might be sitting here thinking of your past and the ache, the pains, trauma, hurt, abuse, rape, difficulties. Sins done against you and feel hopeless in this moment. The idea of taking, so doing self harm, the idea that you're in a sense of depression, all these things. And even now, as I say these things, my words may come to you in an empty kind of way because, again, it seems like there's hopelessness that will not change. The circumstances don't look like they can change. It seems even absurd that the facts before us could ever bring any kind of change of hope. Before, um, when I was early in our marriage, we had a young lady enter kind of into our lives, and her story was one where she was raped at home, and she was abused, and her mom didn't know how to handle this moment, um, and so she started doing self-harm and cutting. She would run away, When we came to kind of engage her in life and started walking alongside her, she would wear a hoodie over her and sit in her room for like the entire day. She would run away. She would, um, you know, just experiencing darkness and hopelessness. And we had a good friend who also walked alongside her, and through like all of us, we saw what hope can bring. There was the time that she came and was able to confess and believe in Jesus Christ that provided that foundation, but that didn't solve it all. That didn't take it all away. It took a long time of much of our prayers and our walking and our faithfulness and our just trying to to dive into her life to see eventually that she did come to a place where she was able to graduate high school, graduate college even, and now is living, you know, working, still following the Lord. And I say that to you because understanding that hopelessness is not the end. It is not the end of God's story in our lives. It does take time, and it takes people. It takes people in our lives. And I want you to hear me say, if you're in a hopeless condition or in that sense of despair, depression, do not feel that you're being condemned by God. Feel loved. Know that you are loved today. God is in the midst, Emmanuel. And I want you to also hear that here, especially at Covenant, the pastors, the elders want to be here as people who care, want to be, if you are going through something, we want to walk alongside you. But we also have other ministries of small groups and opportunities for even care where it was one-on-one care opportunities. We have resources and we want you to hear that we want to walk alongside you wherever you are. But part of that process too if you're here feeling the hopelessness, if you're here not feeling that hopelessness, this is where you also can come in and be part of the process. Because part of the process is also being the community, being someone else's hope and faith when someone else is hopeless and is struggling with faith. Being here in worship even, singing the songs of truth and of the gospel to those who may not be able to sing. You taking the opportunity to talk to someone else in the room or in your life that you may may or may not know how they're really experiencing life with hopelessness. You are that hope. The idea of both receiving God's hope, God's blessing, and then worshiping and rejoicing in him is exactly the kind of response that we see both with Zephaniah and then Isaiah. With Zephaniah, he says... He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. That's God. That is what God is doing here over you so that you can then experience the response of give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy. There's a beautiful cycle there, a beautiful idea that what God is doing, there's a mutual joy in our relationship, that he is finding joy in exalting and singing over us, and then we experience just joy when we respond in worship. Worship and singing, in particular, are a beautiful gift to us, a tool to glorify God, but also bring hope to us, his children. We can often get caught in just knowing the lyrics of the gospel, but do we have the music of the gospel? Do we have the music penetrating our soul, the powerful reality of hope? I remember when my children were babies, our oldest especially was very colicky, so we had to... I did this a lot, you know, holding him, rocking him, standing there at night. And there's one thing to try and calm a child by saying, you know, it's okay, it's all right, calm down, I'm here. But it's a whole different thing, that response of a child when you start being, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. A child will suddenly start the process of calming down. You'll see a change in a child when the singing starts happening. And that's the same idea. We sing over our children to bring that response. God is singing over us in order to elicit that response from us. So even if you're here today and not quite a singer, you don't really like that idea in in corporate worship, know that that idea of singing is God's gift to us all to be that hope and to build up our faith, if not for you, for someone else around you. Hope in the present, living in the present, but remembering God's faithfulness from the past. And remembering him in the past, not ourselves, not the sins or the failures we've done. For God himself even says, I remember your sins from the past. No more. And so when we have that kind of God who is so faithful that he has taken away those failures and sins and brings us into the present, how can we not worship him? The hope from the past, hope in the present, finally brings us to hope for the future. As we look ahead with anticipation to Christmas, we always are thinking of hoping for something good, right? Something good is coming. We should have that anticipation for our future always. Even as we wait in the present, hope in the present, we are waiting on the Lord. We are waiting and hoping for God to bring about that relief and fulfillment that even what Simeon was talking about, that consolation of Israel, really the consummation of all things. Just like that mountain before, I picture the idea that, yes, Mary, Zephaniah, Isaiah, all had a a hint about the future that was coming when Jesus came. We get to see it on the other side of the mountain. We can look back and see that Jesus died and rose again. But we now look ahead to something else, to a new and different future, the new creation that is coming. And I just want to think that this is going to be something like the first coming, a surprise. It's going to be bigger and greater than whatever we could ever imagine being in the presence of God forever. The day when Jesus, when all those who claim Jesus to be Lord are before his throne, this is the picture that we get. John said, then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the lamb and with him 144,000 who had this name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing their harps. And they were singing a new song. Before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. That is the picture of hope. The hope we have for the future. The hope of not just the consolation of Israel, but the consummation of all things. The hope that we have in glory to come, where we get the opportunity to sing this new song, this perfect song, where God Himself has created us to be the bride of Christ running to her groom. Do you have that hope today? Do you have the hope that one day to be part of that crowd, be part of that family, be part of the bride? Remember the past, live in the present, but have that hope for the future. It's the hope from the past that the hope in the present and the hope for the future that comes, that is a song of Christmas. That is the song of Christ. Please rise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as the God of hope, who fills us up with that same hope. Lord God, we ask that you today would overflow our hope through the, word, the man Jesus, Yeshua, salvation, who came to this earth with the very idea that he was coming to fulfill something far greater than anyone had ever even hoped for or imagined possible. And I pray that that hope today through your Holy Spirit would be in us, chosen because you have called us to be your children. You know where our hearts are, Lord, from a person who may be filled with that hope today, to one who is experiencing great hopelessness, to a person who may not even have heard of you as the hope. I pray for all of those, Holy Spirit, you would minister, you would work your truth, the power of the gospel, in their hearts today. We are so thankful for that, to be able to now sing and rejoice and hear the words, O oh, come all ye faithful, Lord. May we be those who are faithful, in Jesus' name, amen.